Well, Dad, it is great to have you here talking church. I can't believe it's taken this long to get you in the new set. New set, new uh, neon, new table, yeah. which you made. I did. I did. I'm Thank very you. proud of you. I have none of these skills at all, but I have a couple projects you can help me out with. Yes, I'm building something for you right now, actually. Very good. Um, we have a lot to talk about yeah. because it's been a long time, but we were talking before, okay, what? for those who are interested, we always talk like day of, okay, what what is pressing right now? And right. so we talked this morning, and you want to talk about dealing with conflict, but also there's talk about restoration and the church. How do we manage that as a church? How do we restore people? Right. What's our view of, you know, we've talked about kind of when you're apologizing for things, you apologize to the degree that you made the error, right? Correct, correct. Uh, but in the case of restoration, it's a little bit different. And so maybe we can start just with your high level dealing with conflict initially, and then we can get to restoration later. But when you think about dealing with conflict on the team, we've done lead pastor roundtables, and by far the yeah. biggest question is dealing with conflict among the team or dealing with conflict among leaders in the church. Yeah, and some of it is personality things. Some of it is low emotional intelligence. Some of it is lack of integrity. Um, like I'll give you one of the conflict things was, what do I do with a pastor that's going to plant a church right across town from me? And I told them that we didn't want to do that. And it's like, so that's like lack of integrity or they weren't clear about what they believed. Then there's like, what do I do with this person? Uh, everyone on staff is angry with them. Or what do I do? It, it, there's there's tons of it. Or what do we do? Uh, they had a fight with families in the church. And now what do we do? And it involves a family and it's their staff. So there's tons of conflict. Let's go through some of those. The first one you mentioned, there's a pastor la launching a church right across the street or right down, down right. the road. Happens we, a lot. We've, we've probably been that church for some people. And we've had a lot of churches that have... Uh, been in our area, what are things from the perspective of if you're a new church in a community, what are things that you've done to, again, we're launching new campuses that have helped that? And then what are maybe some things you've seen that have been not the advised route to go? Yeah. Um, well, when we started, we started in a, a time frame that was called the Decade of Harvest, and everybody is wanting all these new churches to start. And I remember uh, we picked uh, Rosemount, Minnesota. And I remember meeting with a pastor that was in Apple Valley, which is the neighboring community. Like if they kind of blur, we know that, but the people listening don't. And uh, I went into his office and he's like, I'm not excited about this. If you cross this road, you're my enemy. And I was like, okay, this is not what it's I the Same thought. denomination? Same denomination. Wow. Yeah. Not even like the church that was closer to us that wasn't the same denomination. You're not worried about them. People are worried about same denomination or same style now sure. because denomination is blurred in its style. Yeah. And so I was like, I want to do this right. And so I went and told everybody, like, we're starting here. We're going to do this. You know, please, like, help us. And most people didn't want to help. And But I, I tried to be ethical. Now, on that same thought, uh, I think at one point we had seven churches within 30 minutes of our church that were from former staff. Like they just started. Yeah. No, no you're right. Yeah. Not one of them we started either. Like, but they were all people. Yeah, because sometimes we'll we'll plant a church and say, hey, we're we're planting you guys, we're giving you money, we're sending people. Right. But this was not that. These were people that had left and then started on their own. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And we bless them. And you know, I'm just like, all right. You know, and by bless them, I mean I don't stand in the way of any church. But when people would come to me and say, What do you think about this? This is the statement that I all say. Um 
I think them starting right there is bringing a little confusion to the body and I wish they wouldn't have done it, but uh, I'm not going to stand in the way of any church plant. But the fact that you're asking me shows that it's bringing confusion to the church. And so uh, that would be my first word of advice. Don't bring confusion to the body of Christ. If you're on staff somewhere and you plant across the street, you're bringing confusion because it almost sounds like we don't like them. Something's wrong. I had to leave. Now, all those things may be true, but it's not up to you to be the big, uh, I'm going to make everything right and this is my city. Was it your city? Did you move there to join their vision? And then, you know, or were you raised there? So some people could make the argument that I mean, you look at the population of a city, let's say just, just the city yep, alone is yep. 50,000 people yep. and there's a thousand people that go to that church. There's so many people that still need to be reached. And that's obviously true. When you talk about planting across the street, obviously it's a figure of speech. Sometimes it's true. Right. How far would you say, and again, every community is different, but how far would you say is if you're a part of the same denomination, again, we're assemblies of God, but if somebody was from our church and they said, hey, I really feel called to plant. Yep. I mean, it's happened. I mean, we have great examples of yeah. it. But how far would you say is far enough to where you're not going to bring as much confusion as you're talking about? Yeah, and I've I've got a formula for it. And I actually said this to leaders, but they're like, ah, we don't want to be that strict which is so weird because when somebody does something to you and starts like right next to you, you're like, seriously, we're right here. Why would you do that mm -hmm. in the same family? And so the proposal I had was called 222. Uh, if you're on staff somewhere and you want to plant in the same town, leave for two years. If you leave for two years and come back and people join you, okay, you left. Be 20 miles away, okay? That's the 20, so two years away, 20 miles away. And then let's not start any new church next to another new church within two years. Let's give them two years to get their feet. You're saying them. a church plant that's been planted for six months. Don't yeah. go right next to them. Cause yeah. we were one year in and another pastor, which I've talked about in the past, we've had different things. Lowell Lundstrom started like 12 months later, 10 minutes away. And I'm like, like we barely got on our feet and now people are like, oh, the next new thing is in town. And I was like, guys, and, and, and I don't think you own the franchise, right? Like I don't own 30 years of no churches starting here, but it's like, do you want to help? Like, and this is my point. Everything has a, a nat, uh, natural gestation period. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, rabbits, it's weeks. Whales, it's like a year. Elephant, it's like two years. And you can't have a new baby you can't have another new baby elephant for another two years sure. after it's been, you know, birthed. That's just the way nature protects the offspring. Mm -hmm. And like, apparently it doesn't care much about rabbits or mosquitoes or whatever, you know, because, but my point was, are we building churches and like, what should be the natural birthing order to do it? Now, it might be that this city is so big, it needs multiples. And I, I didn't, do this exact, but I used to say, however many McDonald's are in your town, we need it. So if there's like five McDonald's in, you know, that town, we need five, you know, but it was just, I was just trying to use some logic and some Yeah, because in New York sense. City, right, if it's 20 miles, you're, you're talking you're in New Jersey, you know, you're not even close. I mean, there's millions and millions of people. So that, that formula isn't 
is contextual everywhere. But the point is being far enough away to where it's not going to be, hey, come to my church. I mean, we've had people, hey, don't go to that church anymore. Come to my church. Right. You're going, I, I'm for you if you're trying to win new people or people that are part of your family. But when you're actually going and recruiting for your church from other churches or from a church that you used to be on staff at, that's never healthy. No, and they, they everybody always uses the argument, but there's 100,000 people here that are unreached. Right. But you're going after 400 of them yeah. that attend my church that have already been reached yeah. and you don't understand. You're not walking the streets and recruiting yeah. people and handing out cards. If you <laughs> literally were starting at zero with no saved people and going after the 100,000 that weren't reached, everybody had celebrated. But you need a base. You need a core. You need people that are mature believers to disciple. So that's why church planning is done best when it's in you know communication and in partnerships and things like that. But... Um, that's that's a conflict that, and I think you should have that up front. Hey, you're not going to plant within 20 miles of anything. If you want to stay in the same city, you got to leave for two years and any new church. I mean, if we did that up front, that would solve a lot of problems. Mm -hmm. So, Talking about one of the other conflicts you mentioned, people in the congregation, um, there's a couple scenarios I think of. One is they're disagreeing with something that the church is doing, and then you have to resolve that conflict. Or the other is they're disagreeing with somebody else in the church and you're now the mediator, like you're Solomon, where they come with your problem. Yeah, Talk let's about deal with the real ones too. Like, not, I don't mean like the real, here's what I mean. Um, people can get mad at people all the time for the smallest things. Like we were on uh, the Friday after Thanksgiving, whatever, and we were doing the doorbusters and we were running into Home Depot to buy a drill and we ran in, ran out. And I remember I had you and Connor with me and this this guy from church was there that I didn't know, but he's like, hey, Pastor Rob, I'm like, hey, get in the doorbusters. And then we ran out. And then the next week he came in, like, I need to have conflict resolution. Like, you blew me off at Home Depot. I was like, bro, it was like doorbuster Friday after like Black Friday. Like, what do you, it was just, we were all, it was every man for himself. I wasn't in pastor mode, you know? So that's like the ones you're like, okay, that's just hypersensitive. But there are real ones where your staff do things that are offensive. And you, you, here's the hard part. You want to protect your staff, but you also want to admit the truth in the situation. And it's best if the staff realize that they need to fall on the sword and say, it's my fault, and then allow you to come in and be like the person that brings peace to the situation. But if they're like, it's not my fault, and I'm not saying I'm sorry, and they're out of order, okay, now I can't defend you, but if you go and say, hey, I don't understand all of this, but I, I apologize, I did this, and, and then I can come in and say, hey, thanks, Bill, for apologizing. Hey, Steve, do you see the point here? Like, let's talk about Steve. You might have been a little sensitive. Bill's apologized. Let's deal with this. And I could come in as mediator, but if he's like, no, it's my, I, they're wrong, like, then now I got to be referee or parent. The person in the congregation is like, be the parent to them. They're out of order. You're going to let your kids behave like that? So it's easier for them to take the humble spot and then me be able to say, no, I don't think he's all at fault. Let's look at this. But those are real. And I've had to have staff go and apologize um, after like a missions trip where they were a jerk to everybody. And I made them go to every family and apologize. Um, so, but you're, the biggest thing is, 
I'm trying to solve the problem. I'm not trying to prove how wrong people are. Mm. I'm trying to solve the problem. Sure. And so I've had to have that in mind. Like I'm trying to solve the problem and then cause this to never happen again. Mm-hmm. Are there any other conflicts that you think of, whether it be at conferences when people pull you aside, hey, I, I just need a real quick question. I've noticed that of you that you often get called in crisis because you've gone yeah, through sure. so many. I mean, people read Fix It or they read your books and they go, you've gone through a lot of crisis. And they call you or they'll text you, give me your thoughts. Are there other things that jump out, questions that you get a, yeah. a lot? The biggest thing now is when people are doing things that are not fireable, but are highly offensive. Okay. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Like they'll do something like, and I'll pick something really easy. Like, you know, I remember when, okay, I'll give you one just the other day. The other day at uh, Men's Advance, I was doing the conference and this guy comes up to me and he goes, I got to let you know right now, I am highly offended at people wearing their hats in this service. And, and as the speaker, I want you to go up there and solve this. If the president was here, they would take the, if the national anthem was played, you would take the, and I'm just like, okay, it's there. He's offended, but it, I, nobody's getting fired. I'm not going to go up to the band and tell them I'll take your hat off. But I, I just had to solve the problem. And I said, listen, I swear at a men's advance, we're in the North woods. We're at a campground. It's just guys didn't even shower. Come on, cut them some slack. And he's, I said, honestly, if they were going to meet the president, they would, if they were at Easter Sunday, they wouldn't dress like this. Well, except for some of the band, maybe, but yeah. <laughs> and I said, cut them some slack. Can you find some grace? Aren't you just glad they're here worshiping? And he was like, yeah. And I just diffused it. So I'm trying to, there's, but there's things that people do, like even guest speakers. We had a guest speaker in that drank, but he didn't drink on the stage. You know, he drank and it wasn't a service on the weekend. It was a weekday staff thing. And I said, listen. Yeah, we got e- a lot of emails about it because there's obviously- Because they're like, AG, we don't drink. Yeah. And so they're like, and they're like, I can't believe you had somebody that would drink. I said, listen, we're going to take the good from them. We didn't have them speak on the stance on alcohol. That hasn't changed. There's a lot of people that have differing views and, and you're constantly trying to do this. And that I use this story from the Bible of, can I redirect your passion is what I say to them. I said, on the Mount of Transfiguration, here you have Moses and Elijah and Jesus, right? And Peter's like, should we build a, a monument for each of you? And Jesus is like, no, no, love it. It's not what we're going to do. And he's, and he's almost like, Peter, I love your passion. Let me redirect your passion to what the mission is. And so whenever I'm in a conflict situation like that, I'm like, let me redirect your passion. It's not going your way, but are you going to trust me enough to redirect your passion or what you're upset about? Um, I mean, and I've had to be creative. I've even had to say like, okay, until you guys can forgive each other, which you have to keep working towards, why don't you go to this campus and you go to that campus? Sure. Or you, I mean, literally. Yeah, I had that conversation the other day with someone who they broke up with their, you know, boyfriend, girlfriend, they broke yeah. up and they're, well, what do we do? They don't want to come here anymore. And I said, You well, get the dog, I get the church. <laughs> yeah. But but I said, I said, I, I can empathize that they don't really want to come to church and see their ex every right. time, but if they still want to be a part of our church, there's a couple of campuses that they could drive to. And, you know, it's creative solutions for sure. Exactly. So we mentioned restoration. Mm-hmm. And that's, that could be a huge topic. Yeah, it's a, it's a big topic. It's in the news right now, so to speak. But in, in some ways, social media, right, makes that much more public than it used to be. Uh, when somebody yeah. leaves their church, now everyone knows about it. And then there's all this tea out there about what's, hey, here's what happened. Here's what's going on. And, you know, it's 
oh my goodness, I know the inside scoop or I'm, this person hurt me. And a lot of those things are legitimate. Some of those things are rumors and there can be a tension. And so all of a sudden it's, all right, now this person after several years yep. or whatever yep. it is, wants to get back into ministry. Talk about how we've approached that as a team and then even some things you observe. And again, what are some things that are good practices and what are some things that have not gone as well as yeah, you've seen throughout I the mean, years? Yeah, I mean, so much on that. I mean, the first thing I want to say to everybody though is, um, I believe there's a pathway back. There's a restoration pathway back for most things. I'll say that. Now we'll get to what's not. Um, but uh, we'd rather celebrate your faithfulness than your comeback. So to anybody, like, we'd rather have you stay faithful, never fall, never walk away, you know, never lapse, nothing. Faithful. That's the first thing I'd say. Second thing I'd say is, there's a lot more people that are faithful than you realize. We see the people that were not faithful, but like I serve on the board that actually does discipline for ministers. There's tens of thousands of pastors that are credentialed in our movement, and we deal with handfuls of these, okay? They're, they're terrible, they're tragic, they're sad, they're sinful, all the above. But we don't sit there like, all right, case number 1,947. You know, it's not that. Okay, so I want people to know there are more ministers that are living it out, that are faithful, that have not fallen, that have not messed up, that have done the right thing, and we should celebrate that. Mm -hmm. Now, for the people that do mess up and sin and hurt people, there there is a restoration pathway back, mm -hmm. but I, I would say this right off the get-go, um, we've just had a policy of like, if it involves children in any way, there's no pathway back. Hmm. Like you just disqualified yourself. You're going to have to pay the penalty for the legal system. You're going to have to do whatever you can to restore, uh, you know, just good standing in the church, if you will. There's no pathway back into ministry if it involves children. Like we protect the children mm -hmm. and that's just outside of, um, I'm trying to figure out how to say it, but like even the norms of relationship. Yeah. And so that one's no pathway back. When you look at what Jesus said about, you know, it'd be better for you children. to have a millstone tied yeah. around your neck. Better be drowned in the sea of Galilee is what he's saying. Yes. <laughs> than yeah. to offend one of these little ones. Yeah. So, um, but for others, there's a pathway back. And my thing is like what you said. Can I pause you for a second? Yeah. You've talked about this before, but if something in the church, I think there's two realms, right? There's the things that we deem immoral as Christians, and then there's things that our society deems immoral that are illegal. You've always talked about if there's anything illegal, go to the police first, yep. and then we'll handle our internal church things. But there's there's others that the world would say, why would you get fired for that? Or why would right. you get disciplined for that? So there's kind of those two sides of it. Yeah, and a case in point, like if you, um, if you looked at pornography and you were addicted to pornography, you would get let go of your job as a yeah. pastor on our team. If you looked at pornography at and you worked at Target, they'd be like, um, as long well, as we don't see it, we're not. I, I remember you know? like when I worked out in in not in the church world, like there were people that would show it at work, you know, and sure. so yeah, sure. sure. So you've got those two yeah. categories and then you've got the illegal things that'd be illegal at Target yeah. or at River Valley. If somebody steals, mm -hmm. um, it's illegal there, it's illegal here. And so what we've always said is tell the authorities first because we never want to be accused of like covering something up. Like, so we're going to deal with the authorities right away. So the pathway back, um, we've had people that have fallen in our church on our staff and have uh, had moral failures, financial failures, all sorts of things. And 
all of them require a plan to get back. Like, first of all, the person has to truly repent. And I think it was Rick Warren said this, um, whenever a pastor is caught in sin, it takes them three months to finally tell the truth. Mm. You know, that they're like, no, no, I did not do, do that. Why do you think that is? Well, because they realize they're losing everything. They're losing their financial, they're losing their family, they're losing their church family, they're losing their platform, they're losing everything. Which again, take an accountant at some accounting firm that commits adultery. They might lose their marriage, but they didn't lose their friends. Mm -hmm. They didn't lose their job. Sure. They're not now without an income. And so there's such a depth of it that it's like, no, no, yeah. it's not true. It's not true. And then it's like, well, some of it, a little bit is true. It was emotional. Well, it was digital. Well, it was uh, uh, this. And then it was like, yeah, it was. And it's like when they realize, like, I just got fired and it's over. So it's like, takes a while to get there. But you have to be willing. You have to truly repent of what you did. And if the person truly is repented, then there's a pathway back for many of them. Now, usually that involves a person overseeing the process. And in our case, um, all of those things are a two-year plan. One year completely out of ministry. And then one year, if you're working your plan right, under supervised ministry, which means you couldn't be a lead pastor, you could be an assistant pastor, but you cannot be the lead over anything like that. Um, and in that process, we're dealing with the family the, of the person, we're dealing with the person, they're going to counseling, there's required reading. I once, in a restoration case for a person, read every book that they were uh, told to read. I said, I wanna be an encouragement to your restoration, you're one of my friends. And I want to read every book you have to read with you and discuss it with you. Like, and it was kind of like be, saying, I'll show up every day to work out with you, you know? And it's yeah. like, you're more prone to, you know, uh, to finish. And so there's, there's books, there's counseling, there's uh, healing that is done, there's time. And um, nobody ever, I don't know, everybody has a different view. Like, is it a year? Is it two years? Is it three months? For me, I like the year out completely. And then with the permission of your spouse and the person doing your um, restoration, are you allowed to come back? Because um, the spouse might be like, you don't understand, they're, they're fooling you. Or mm -hmm. I don't, they might even be too afraid to say that. They might say, I'm too afraid to trust again because I haven't seen a long enough track record. Sure. But if you go that one year out and then do all the things that need to, and now there may need to be restitution and, and you know, um, then they, after that process, they can come back. But here's another thing. I don't think people should always come back to pastoral ministry. There's, there's a big harvest field out there. You could do other things to help, um, yeah, and, and but I celebrate their comeback because we all need grace. But I, I, if I'm asking somebody, have they done it? Have they submitted to the authorities? Have the authorities signed off? Has, has their spouse signed off? Have they made restitution whenever possible that they could do that? Um, and now how are they going to live differently? You know, and then I don't want to see somebody that has any blame game, you know, like, well, I wouldn't have done it if this, or mm. it was the perfect storm. And it, and you know, they almost are like making it sound like it was their, not their fault. Yeah, I want somebody to say, no, I was sinful. And James said that 
says that sin, when it's fully conceived, brings forth death. And this brought forth death. And I did it. And I was enticed. And I was lured away. And I don't blame anyone. And it's not my dad's fault. And it's not a generational thing. And it's like me. I made that. And I was wrong. You know? Um, and then you talk about they, they don't slip back in. Like, it used to be people would sin, be restored, and in the proper way. Like I've heard of churches that are like three months, he's out for three months. He's going to go on a prayer retreat and he's three months paid sabbatical. Yeah. Three months paid sabbatical. And then they're back and you're like, what in the world? I feel bad for the kids. And side note, I I don't even know where I was going with that thought, but I remember this, somebody I restored and I did the restoration and he said, thank you for being difficult. Thank you for holding me to this. Thank you for not cutting the two years short. And he goes, this wasn't about me getting back into ministry. This was about me being healthy. And I thank you that you took the time to make sure that I got healthy. That's the key. Yeah, That's the key. And so it's like getting those people back into ministry healthy and whole. We're not trying to speed them back. Oh, I was going to say about, it used to be that the person was maybe in a high profile place. They fell, they were restored, and they came back to a small town. Nobody knew about them you know, and they just kind of were able to start over again. Now, man, you got people tracking you on social media Mm -hmm. and they're like, he moved here. He bought this house. He's got this car. Here's his bike. Here's his, you know, and you're like, here's him walking with his wife. And you're just like, yeah, you, you can't get away. And then unfortunately, many times you get hired by a higher profile place. And then all of a sudden the whole world's talking about you. Sure. And What would you say to, you mentioned for some people, it's right for them not to go into pastoral ministry again. Right. Maybe that, that, that sin has disqualified them or God's going to use them in a new way. Or it's a weakness in their marriage and they can't, you know. Yeah. What would you say for, maybe there's people that want to do that, but there's others in, whether that be in the congregation or on staff at the church, whatever it is that feel, no, I believe, I believe they've disqualified themselves. I believe that they shouldn't have that opportunity. Um, I I had a conversation the other day with a friend and he said, you know, was talking about somebody and said, you know, I don't believe that this person should have a second chance in ministry, you know, not in life and not at heaven or anything like that. We know God can forgive all our sins with proper repentance. But what would you say to those people that feel if you sin to a certain degree, which I think is a fair question, to what degree, you're disqualified from ministry forever. Yeah, and there's not a Bible verse. Like, that's why it's so uh, big of an issue. And then people will look back to David, and then you got to say, okay, but David was the king, anointed to be the king, and this was pre-Jesus Christ, dying on the cross before the Holy Spirit uh, takes up residence within you. So a lot of people are like, well, look at David didn't just lose the kingdom. Well, there's a pretty stiff price. I mean, he lost a son in the process. Yeah. Um, and other people look at it and say, well, in the New Testament, nobody should be restored. Like um, Paul's giving a second chance to a deserter, you know, mm-hmm. um, and, and others he's written off. He's like, Demas has forsaken me, loving this present world more. He's gone. I mean, Peter denied Jesus. Peter denied Jesus. Yeah, yeah see, but that, see, that has to be a pretty big one, right? Denying Jesus after walking big. with them for three years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In his worst moment, in yeah. his moment he needs you to be his friend, yeah. you deny him. So uh, when I look at this, the biggest thing that I would tell everybody is, did they submit 
to the restoration plan they agreed to before they ever fell. Because I'll take, for instance, Jimmy Swagger. When I was at Jimmy Swagger Bible College, which, yes, that's where I went. He falls, right? In sin, prostitute, whole deal. He had agreed to do a two-year restoration. He had agreed. That's what he had signed. But then when he fell, he's like, oh, no, no. I'm too important. Oh, you're saying before? Yeah, that, before just a he part ever of did his that. Contract, yeah. Part of his credentials. Or, yeah. He agreed it was a two-year process. If that were to happen, yeah. Then when he fell, when he fell, he's like, nope. It's a three-month process with three months probation or whatever. You know, he changed the game. And my thing is, like, if you truly are repentant, you don't change the game. Yeah. Remember the guy I said that, thank you for making me healthy. That's what you want. So when people say, I can't believe that they're restored, I would ask them, did they do what they said they would do before they were restored? That's Mm -hmm. number one. Number two, was it something that was overseen by spiritual leaders and elders that truly know what they're doing. Okay, they're going to have more information than you. They're going to have more access than you. Like, you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. you've got to say, do I trust this pastor, this pastor, and this pastor who know the details yeah. and met with both people that they're doing the right thing because mm-hmm. they agreed to the process and they met and the leaders sign off. And then the third one is, is their spouse uh, in agreement, supportive, healthy? Do you see that? And um, if you look at those things, the plan might, you might not like it, mm-hmm. but those are healthy indicators to look at. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's so good. And, and I'm, I'm processing through some of this as we talk even. And on, on one hand, you celebrate this, the comeback, right? On the other, and, and I think this goes far beyond pastoral accountability and pastoral restoration. When somebody has hurt you, whether you knew them personally or they were someone you looked up yep. to or an example. Naturally, it's hard to cheer for their success. And maybe it's just the internal turmoil within you, but you go, they hurt me. And then you go out and you see people celebrating them and championing them, and they're so amazing, they're so awesome. How have you processed that to where there's people who you know you have disagreements with, who behind the scenes, I mean, I've had things like that where there's friends out there that became enemies, not really, but they just, you know, behind the scenes, the horrible things they've said to you. There's, you know, there's pastors out there where I'm like, I know the DMs you've sent about how horrible you think about a certain situation, but then I live in the tension to celebrate their success. But as a believer, I'm like, no, I, I want to get rid of that. I know. Remember the sermon I did, um, uh, grace gifts fruit. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what I always have to remind myself of when somebody like, okay, the grace of God is bigger than I realize. And even though they hurt me, God forgives them. Their gifts are pretty amazing and they're, it's putting them places, but I want to look for fruit development. Are they being more, did this come back, make them look more like Jesus or less like Jesus? For me, that's what mm. I'm looking at. But I do see people, they do this, this, and it looks like they didn't even pay. I, I will say this, some wives are saying this now, like, oh my gosh, my husband can mess up and cheat. And next thing you know, he's one year out and he's back on the same platforms, back in the same crowd, back in the same crew. And I'm still hurting and I was the one and I was. And so my thing is go yeah. back to the wife. Is it whole and healed? I was there? talking to some pastors in Australia 
And I said, what's your perspective on, you know, some of these things that are going on in America and this? And they said, yeah, our perspective from Australia is that the American church is the place that you go. When you fail, you can go to places in America and have a thriving ministry. And I'm like, that's your perspective? Well, you, it's like, a big country yeah. and it's also very gracious and it's um, theologically uh, not even an inch deep. Uh, a lot of Christians are millimeters deep. Sure. And so they're like, you know, grace, grace, good, good, you yeah. know, and, and I sin, they have you gifts. sin. Yeah. You know, and I like your gift and I'm going to, you know. Yeah. And, and so that's part of it. Um, I think about, I had somebody like rip me off once financially, a, a large sum of money for me and uh, a minister. And then later he got his credentials taken away and like got in trouble and part of me, like, like the first thing was like, I knew, like, I knew it. And then I was like, be sure your sins will find you out. And then I was like, da, 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 I'm right. And then I was like, oh, I'm sad that I'm right. Yeah. I wish that he would have changed because it makes God's name look bad. Mm -hmm. And it's not about Rob's name. It's about God's name. And then I just started feeling bad. Like, oh man, I wish he would have never you know, because yeah. it's not about me feeling good. Like, yeah, it's about, I don't want anybody to not love Jesus because of how somebody walked out their faith and messed up. So to me, I was sad, you know? Yeah, I think oftentimes when we get in those moments, we're caught pointing our finger at the woman that's brought to Jesus instead of looking to Jesus, realizing the message that he's saying. We're those people with the stones, right? We're ready to stone them. We're ready to go. And... I live in that constant tension of you. You feel that that you know energy well up inside you serves them right. They're getting what they deserve, and all of a sudden you look back and you you think about the cross and you think about Jesus. Oh my goodness, I am that person. Yeah. I am them, regardless of what the, the sin looks the same. It's coming to realize, wow, he's washed away everything, and in, yeah. in a lot of ways we're grateful that our sin isn't made public, right? Right. We're grateful that people haven't seen the truth behind it because all of us would have a a lot to put on the table that we'd have to answer for, but we're all yeah. on a level playing field. Well, and the thing that makes God happy is the no more. He says, go and sin no more. Yeah. I don't condemn you, go and sin no more. Mm -hmm. And living the no more, mm -hmm. I'm no longer, this no more will be said about me. I'm not gonna be this way, brings him glory. And so, um, yeah, I, I think there's a pathway back uh, for people that do these things. Sometimes um, it's life-controlling addictions. Sometimes it's unguarded weaknesses. Sometimes it's just uh, you get put on a platform that you can't handle. And, you, yeah, the you know, the rich fall into many temptations. Well, so do, like, as a pastor grows a platform, there's new temptations that are available. Right. Like I had no temptation to fall while I traveled for the first 10 years of church because I didn't travel. Because yeah. you, know? <laughs> you weren't traveling. I wasn't traveling. And now I travel all the time and we have a policy that I travel with somebody unless I'm meeting a group of ministers. Because so if somebody like sees me in an airport, like you're by yourself. No, like if I'm leaving Minneapolis and I'm going to a minister's event where I'll be surrounded. Like we don't need somebody on the airplane with me for those, you know, three hours. Yeah, but I was on an airplane the other day and there was this woman though, and she was bad news and was asking me all these things. And I, I was actually going to meet Mac, my wife. And so I'm like, I'm grateful that I'm going to meet her. But I even texted a couple of my friends. I said, there's this woman on the plane that 
I don't know what's going on. And they're like, yo, we're with you. I said, I'm going to meet my wife, but just letting she's you bad know. bad news. Because she's bad news. So, but any, anyways, I, I think this has been such a, a great conversation. I don't want to end there, but um, can you give any any encouragement to those who, we talked about it very yeah. at the very beginning, the faithful, right? There are more faithful, people who are faithful, the encouragement to remain faithful. You've been doing ministry for 30 years. We don't want to have to talk about all the people yeah. that we're restoring. Like you said, it's 99 to one, you yep. know, it's far yep. more, but the encouragement for us to remain faithful and then maybe for those who have fallen away or have someone that, that they're close to, uh, an encouragement for them as well. Yeah, uh, stay holy, uh, look for the weaknesses, uh, ask somebody you trust that will speak into you. Uh, don't lose it, don't go so well. Like I literally was thinking the other day, I'm 57. And, you know, in my mind, I've kind of thought like I'll pastor till 70. Like, I don't know how active that'll be. You change that about every couple of months. 63, 67, 70. It's kind of those three numbers, you know, but I'm just like, I'll be in some level of activeness. And I thought, I am so close to the end. Like, I don't want to blow it. Like, (laughs) I've done so good. Like, you know, so you keep guarding what you've, uh, keep guarding what you developed over all those years. Don't lose it. Um, if you're slipping, tell somebody, put up a guard. Uh, the next thing would be to anybody that's in it, confess it, repent, be right, and don't lie. And what I've always told everybody on when I meet with them, when they tell me like, yeah, I did this. And I'm like, okay, tell me everything. Make today the worst day. Don't leak it out over the next five weeks. Make today the worst day and let's build up from here. You know, some have taken it, some have lied, and then they keep leaking. And then the last thing would be those that have made the comeback, keep talking about how um, inferior you are. Like the grace of God is amazing. You messed up. God did not make a mistake. You know, you were lured away and, and you know, it's okay to be apologetic and to be a trophy of grace. Um uh, and to be able to do that and be able to say, no, I, I messed up, but thank God that he was able to restore me. Thank God that there was a pathway back. I thank God for these people that helped me get back mm-hmm. um, and 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 give the credit to where it goes and then talk about how amazing God's grace is. So good. Well, there's nothing greater than that gift, the gift of grace. It's far superior than any of the gifts that we could offer him. And I love this conversation. I know it will help a lot of people. And we will see you back soon here. I hope so. Talking Church.